Get... Amen. All right. Well, you know, that's not going to work with the flag, Steve. Where'd he go? <laughs> I mean, I'm patriotic and everything, but… We had to sell speakers because the fans are too loud on the side. Yeah. Okay. All right. Everybody say amen. While we're getting this all queued up and, and ready, I wanted to continue. We, we just finished the series, Exposing Cultural Lies, and I want to quote you a verse out of Jude 3. Jude 3 says that we are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. We're to fight for, contend for, take a stand for the faith, not any old faith, the faith once delivered to the saints. I have found that in our day, you've got to take a stand every time you turn around. We're being attacked from a hundred different sides. So we've talked about the, the live evolution. We've talked about the, uh, well, all the cultural lies that we covered in four weeks, talked about a lot of them. And now we're going to begin tonight talking about um, something that I believe is very, very important, and that is the lie of the cults. Jesus prophesied, he predicted, that in the last days deception would abound. He said that there would be many false Christs, many false prophets. And what did he say they would do? He said they will deceive many, even the very elect. So tonight I want to just begin at one of the major cults of our day, and that's Jehovah's Witnesses. And I want to just begin by saying that um, I'm not attacking people. I'm not attacking a human being. I believe that anybody who is in these cults needs our prayer, needs our compassion. Because Jehovah's Witnesses, as we're going to see in just a little bit, is a lie. It's a lying doctrine. It's a, it's a cult. It's a false doctrine. And I'm going to show you why. And at the end of this, uh, this uh, class tonight, I'm going to hand out how to uh, witness to a Jehovah's Witness. How to witness to a Jehovah's Witness. And I might have made a mistake. I only had a hundred of them made. So if you're a couple, only take one. If you're under 20, just tear it in half and give it the other half. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So we're going to hand that out at the end, but let's look at what the Bible says about this. How many of you have ever dealt with a Jehovah's Witness? All right, came to your door. All right, well then you know what we're going to be talking about. You've heard at least some of it. So let me, as a matter of fact, I want to pray before I do this. Let's just ask God to bless this. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. We're not here, Lord, to come against a person, but we're here to expose an erroneous teaching so that people may be set free. And we ask you, Lord God, to bless this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, next week, we're going to be dealing with Mormonism, and the week after that, Scientology. Now, I'm seeing if Tom Cruise will come speak, but I haven't heard from him back yet. That's a joke, son or John Travolta. Maybe he'll come. All right, let's look at a quick profile of Jehovah's Witnesses and start this series on exposing the cults. The official title of the Jehovah's Witnesses Watchtower Bible and Track Society, also known as Jehovah's Witnesses. The key leaders are Charles Taze Russell, the founder, and Judge Joseph Franklin Rutherford. Jehovah's Witnesses was founded in 1879, and it's currently headquartered in Brooklyn, New York. Now here's the organizational makeup, so you can kind of get an idea of how these, these churches, I put in parentheses, are operated. The president and the governing body lead the organization with over 100 branch offices around the world. They have absolute authority over every part of the organization, including all publications. The publications are, you've probably heard of this, The Watchtower. Now get this, a semi-monthly magazine published in 137 languages, averaging 22,398,000 copies per printing. That's huge exposure. 
The name of the local congregation is Kingdom Hall. You got a Kingdom Hall around you? All right. It seems like they're built in a week or less. They go up overnight. And the Kingdom Halls are usually simple structures built by witness volunteers. No images, crucifixes, or other religious symbols adorn the Kingdom Hall. You won't see one. All right. The organizational makeup of local congregations is like this. In each congregation, there are elders or overseers. They take the lead in teaching in the congregation. Ministerial servants assist the elders. Elders and ministerial servants are not elevated above the rest of the congregation. Do not dress differently than any other members, and they don't receive a salary. And what about the worship services in a Jehovah's Witness church? Local congregations meet three days a week at the local Kingdom Hall. The Sunday service consists of a public talk and a congregation-wide question and answer watchtower study. A book study class meets one evening during the week, and the theocratic ministry and the service meeting, which instruct witnesses in doctrine and what, everybody? Door-to-door training. They get it every week. Train how to get out there and witness as a Jehovah's Witness. You know what got me is they put some of us uh, Protestant church folks to shame, and it ought not be so. Uh, And then they take that takes place on another evening of the week. Now here's their scriptural source, and I'm going to show you a little bit more about this in a minute. This really matters. They have their own Bible, and it's called the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. New World, New World. Doesn't that sound nice? Sound pretty? New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. Now, let's real quickly look at the essentials on the history of Jehovah's Witnesses. In 1870, Charles Taze Russell began a Bible study group in Allegheny, Pennsylvania, focused on the studying of Christ's return for the purpose of disproving the Christian doctrine of hell, proving the invisible and spiritual second coming of Christ. Notice I said invisible, not visible and to argue that Christian teachings had grievously erred and departed from the true faith. So when Russell began his Bible study, it was not to open up this Bible and feed people. It was to attack orthodoxy. It was to attack the basic tenets of the Christian faith. And uh, so keeping that in mind, because that was the, this is the fountainhead of the whole Jehovah's Witness movement. In 1876, Russell was elected pastor of the Bible study class, and in 1879, he founded Zion's Watchtower and Herald of Christ's Presences, which is now known as the Watchtower, announcing Jehovah's Kingdom. In 1884, Russell began uh, Zion's Watchtower Tract Society as a corporation and made himself its president. In 1886, the first volume of the, quote, Millennial Dawn series. The plan of the ages was completed. And this series revealed Russell's beliefs. And here's what he was against. Russell was against the creeds of, the or- of Orthodox Christianity, the blood, salvation, born again, much of what we hold sacred and dear. He was against it. Uh, the doctrine of hell the Trinity, man's possession of a soul, and the physical return of Christ. In 1916, October 31st, Russell died on a train near Pampa, Texas. Now uh, he was replaced by Judge Joseph Franklin Rutherford uh, as the second president. Rutherford served jail sentence for conspiring to cause insubordination and refusing military duty. In 1931, the name Jehovah's Witnesses was adopted in 31. In 1942, Rutherford died, and then Nathan Knorr succeeded Rutherford as its third president. In 1943, this is very important, Knorr founded the Watchtower Bible School of Gilead. And in 1950, the New Testament 
of the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures was released. It was not the first translation to be published by them, but it was their first original translation. And I say that translation gets stuck in my mouth when I say that because the translation is very problematic. But let's just look at this a little bit here. The first original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic texts they supposedly translated. The translation reflects the witness's interpretation of Scripture, like not using the term hell. Just took it out. And I got to tell you all something. In this series, when I was getting ready for this tonight, man, I, I would be so scared, so afraid of touching the Word of God in any way twisting it, in any way adding to it or taking from it. There, there is a fear in me of doing damage to the Word in any way, shape, or form because this cult, as all cults do, have greatly twisted the Scriptures, and we're going to see that. In 1961, the completed volume of their Bible, the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures, was finally published. So it hadn't been around very long. This is not something that stretches way back into the Dark Ages or early Rome or the first century. This is a 20th century phenomenon. Now, here we, let me give you a quick comparison of the differences between Jehovah's Witnesses' teachings versus Christian teaching. Look to the left and we see the watchtower. Their Bible is the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. That is not what you've got in your hand. The Christian's Bible is the Holy Bible. And we've got umpteen translations and, and uh, paraphrases and so on and so forth, but it's the Holy Bible. Theirs is very different. When it comes to the subject of God, the Watchtower, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that there is one God in one. There is no Trinity. Jesus was not God and the Holy Ghost is not God. He is Jehovah. No Trinity, as I said. And He's not omnipresent. Can you imagine that? God not being omnipresent? He is a spirit being. The Holy Spirit, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, is an impersonal force. The force be with you. And that God created Jesus. This is their belief. Jesus was not always as God always was, but He was created by God. Jesus was God's first creation, according to them. To the Christian, there is one God, but also three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. God is eternally divine. The Spirit is a person, not a force. He does not change. That is God, and He is the creator of all. But He did not create Jesus Christ. What do they teach about Jesus Christ? The Watchtower, the Jehovah's Witnesses, teach that Jesus was Jehovah's first creation. He was miraculously virgin-born. They'll go there. But He's not the eternal God in the flesh. Now, here's what we teach, and you should know this. He was all God, all man. He was God-man and man-God. Not to the Jehovah's Witnesses. He was not eternal God come in the flesh. He was only a perfect man. Now, I've told you in the past, you never have a cult. There is never a cult or a world religion that is other than Christianity, but particularly the cults, that does not twist and skew and undermine the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. Show me a cult and I'll show you that they have done damage to Jesus Christ being the only begotten Son of God, God wrapped in flesh, God incarnate, born of a virgin, all God, all man, all man, all God, the God-man. Jesus was God visiting earth. That's orthodoxy. That's sound doctrine. But the Jehovah's Witnesses, no. He's only a perfect man. He was not God. God. And then why they go into this, he died on a torture stake and not a cross. But that's what they teach. They teach that prior to 
Jesus being born on earth, he was Michael the archangel. And I won't even bother going into the verses they used to bring that up. Resurrected, he was resurrected as a spirit according to them, but not physically resurrected. He returned invisibly, invisibly in 1914. We missed it. He returned invisibly in 1914, and he died as a ransom sacrifice for Adam's sin only, not yours, not mine. Now, where do we Christians stand? Well, Jesus was virgin-born by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's eternally divine. He's God incarnate. He was bodily resurrected from the dead, and his atonement is the only way of salvation. Now, let's talk about what they say about salvation. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that atonement was ransom sacrifice for Adam's sin only. They teach that only 144,000 go, go to heaven and the rest of us go to paradise on earth. They teach that salvation can be lost. They teach that there is no hell. They teach that faith and works are both required to be saved. Faith and works are required to be saved. And only Jehovah's Witnesses will be saved. Well, of course. And, you know, anytime you hear a group say, only we are going to be saved, boogie. Hit the door. Because God is not willing that any would perish and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And there are saved Baptists, saved Methodists, saved Presbyterians and Episcopalians and Catholics and Pentecostals and Assembly of God and Charismatics and non-Charismatics. You call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Now, the Christian view, of course, is we're not saved by works. We can't earn our salvation. No salvation after death. You don't get saved after you have died. They teach you can be saved in the millennium. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and we have to be born again. Amen? Now, how many of you have already had the light bulb go off in your mind that this teaching is not sound? It doesn't take a rocket scientist, does it? You say, well, they were pretty slick when they came to my door. Well, you're going to get something in your hand at the end of this service that if you'll just spend five minutes with a Jehovah's Witness, now don't go looking for one, <laughs> but if you encounter somebody who is trapped in this false doctrine, if, you'll get, if they'll give you five to ten minutes of their time, you will lead them into a corner from which they cannot extract themselves, and they will have to admit that what they're teaching is false. Okay? Now, the essentials on Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs. Here's one of the things they teach. Individuals cannot properly understand the Bible. You can't understand the Bible on your own. You've got to have somebody teach you. Now, that's, to me, one of the signs of a cult. When you've got to go to a leader to have the Bible explained to you, you need to get nervous about where you are. Now, to have a question about the Bible and to go to your pastor or somebody is one thing. But to be told, you can't read a Bible alone in your living room or in your house and interpret it. You need the interpretation of leadership. That's one of the clear warning signs of a cult. Y'all are looking at me so serious, okay? Now, here's what, this is a quote from the Watchtower magazine. The Bible is an organizational book and belongs to the Christian congregation as an organization, not to individuals. Regardless of how sincerely they may believe that they can interpret the Bible, you can't. Well, see, that's just somebody's way of keeping a lock on you where you can't leave the group and come to truth on your own. You've got to have the group, and that's wrong. As a matter of fact, they went on and they said, from time to time, says the Watchtower, there have arisen from among the ranks of Jehovah's people those who, like the original Satan, have adopted an independent fault-finding attitude. Now, let me interpret that for you. They started reading the Bible on their own. 
and they began to realize that everything they had been taught was not true. So they're called fault finders, trouble people. What are you doing reading the Bible on your own and the Holy Ghost feeding you on your own? Uh-uh. Now the Bible disagrees with this, of course, and I want you to read this verse out of 1 John with me, would you? As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Can you read that last underlined part with me again? You do not need anyone to teach you. How many of you can say with me that when you got saved, the Bible came alive to you? Because the interpreter of the Bible is the Holy Ghost of the living God, of whom Jesus said when He comes, He will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will not speak of Himself, but He will speak of me, and He will show you things to come. So you have an anointing inside of you. And it's not that you can't make mistakes in interpreting the Bible, but he, John is telling us we can all open up the Holy Scriptures and be fed and be taught and be edified and strengthen our faith. As a matter of fact, in this church, we encourage you to do it all the time every single day. You got to go to the feeding trough and eat. Amen. Now let's read the rest of it. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. So can you say with me, I've got an anointing. He's the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and He can teach me and will teach me out of the Word of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, now, here's another thing that they, they teach. The New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures, they say, is the most superior translation. Well, of course. Outstanding among Bibles, they say, is the New World Translation of the Christian Greek Scriptures. Accuracy, uniformity, clarity, and up-to-date language. Mark this excellent work. Bible study aids without equal make this an indispensable help to sincere searching students of God's Word. But here's my problem with this Bible. It takes away from it and it adds to the original manuscripts. And there is a huge warning at the end of Revelations, we're going to read at the end tonight, that would scare me to take anything out, take the word hell out. And what have you taken out? that there are eternal consequences to not repenting and coming to Christ and being saved, you're going to take that out? That's frightening to me. So I have a major problem with this thing of accuracy, uniformity, clarity, and up-to-date language because you did not exegete that out of the original language. The Bible warns, read it with me everybody, can you? I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Can you say, oh me? So there are, there are very, very sobering consequences to fooling with the original manuscripts, the Word of God as it was transmitted to us. Now, they say there's one God and one person, and His name is Jehovah. And here again is out of a Jehovah's Witness uh, article. Jehovah is no Babylonish triad of gods, no God of three persons in one individual. Jehovah is only one God, one person. Is that true? No, it's not true. The Bible disagrees. God is often described in Scripture using plural pronouns. As in Genesis 1.25, when God said to Himself, let us, us, make man in our image. Well, either you're schizophrenic or there are three of you. If there's one of you and you're saying, let us, you need to come to the altar for prayer. But if there's 
three of you, that is genuinely like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, it makes total sense to say, let us make man. And in Genesis 11, 6 to 8, when God was bringing to a close the building of the Tower of Babylon, and the Lord said, behold, the people are one, and they have all one language. Let what, everybody? Let us go down and there confound their language. Therefore, the name, of the, Lord, uh, the name of it is called Babel, because there who? The Lord. And what is the Lord referring back to? The us. The us and the Lord are the same. Therefore, the Lord did confound the language of all the earth. So to say there's only one God and not three in one is to deny Scripture. It denies it. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, another thing they teach is the Holy Spirit is not God, and this one scares me too. I, I, I fear for anybody teaching this. But He's God's impersonable or impersonal active force. Here's what they wrote about it. Not until the 4th century A.D. did the teaching that the Holy Spirit was a person and part of the Godhead become official church dogma. From God there goes forth an invisible active force, they contend, by means of which He gets His will done. He sends it forth to accomplish what is holy. So it is incorrectly called, or sorry, it is correctly called the Holy Spirit because what He is sent forth to accomplish is a holy mission. But see, to the Jehovah's Witnesses, all that He is, that is the Holy Ghost, is a force, an it, a thing not God, the Holy Spirit. This is false. Anyone who knows a thing about the original language knows the Holy Spirit is repeatedly referred to, referred to as a He. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, can you read it with me? I will send Him to you, and when He is come, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. I don't even think there's anything wrong with saying, Holy Spirit, move here tonight. I can show you places in the Bible where the prophet says, Spirit of God, move. Spirit of God is not a force. He's a He. And He lives inside of you. Now, Jesus Christ, the Jehovah's Witnesses deny the incarnation. Everybody say, oh me. That's serious. According to them, Jesus isn't God, so there's no question about God taking flesh. Jesus Christ was Jehovah's first creation, they say. Now I'm quoting them. Christ was the first of God's creations from Jehovah's Witnesses in the 20th century, page 13. He, the Word, was created before all the other spirit sons of God, and that He is the only one who was directly created by God. The firstborn son was used by his father in the creation of all other things. The son's share in the creative works, however, did not make him, did not make him a co-creator with his father. Now, is that the testimony of Scripture that Jesus was not a co-creator of the Father? No. Let's read John, can we? Read it with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So through Jesus Christ, everything was made. Everything. Can you say, He made me? Turn to your neighbor and say, He did a good job. Now turn to the other side and say, you really do look better than you did last week. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Now look, uh, here they go again. Jesus Christ's resurrection was not physical but spiritual. And I'm only showing you just some samples. We could go all night. These are just some samples of, I think, some of the more serious erroneous doctrine. Quote, they wrote, at His resurrection from the dead, Jesus was brought forth with a spirit body. 
Is that true, church? Nope. When Christ appeared to his disciples following the resurrection, he ate with them and encouraged them to touch him, saying, read it with me, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Jesus was telling them, I have a glorified body. I have been raised from the dead. I still have flesh and bones, but it's glorified. I can eat fish, but I can walk through a door. And why does that matter? Because that's what's going to happen to you and me. When we are resurrected, our bodies are going to be resurrected, and you won't have to go to Gold's Gym or Curves anymore. Amen. It'll be a glorified body. No pain, no sickness, no more cancer, heart disease, no more sorrow, no more depression, no more chemical imbalances, none of the afflictions that afflict the sons of men will ever touch the glorified body. The reason this matters is because to take away that Jesus was raised in the physical is to take away from us our hope of the bodily resurrection that Paul gave his life for. Okay? So can you say with me, I will be raised. My body will be glorified. Now salvation, they teach that salvation is ultimately earned. It is for the reward of eternal life that every last person on earth should now be working. Are you? I say, I'm working out my salvation, but I'm not working to be saved. I'm saved by the blood and only by the blood, through grace, by faith. What did Paul say? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody should boast. Then they go into the, the eternal punishment realm, which again is just so dangerous to me. There's no eternal punishment for non-believers, they teach, and humans cease to exist after death. Now here's a quote. The fiendish, and this I think is from the founder, the fiendish concepts associated with a hell of torment slander God and originate with the chief slanderer of God, the devil. When a person is dead, he is completely out of existence. He is not conscious of anything. Well, that's patently false. Revelation says, and can you read this with me? It's very powerful. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, do I like that verse? No. I don't like that verse. But it's there. The same Bible that attributed John 3.16 to Jesus attributes this. came out of the same Bible. There is a judgment. There is a hell and there is a heaven. And if you lose that, why in the world evangelize? Why even bother? Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. It doesn't matter. This is the danger of this kind of teaching. It takes the teeth out of evangelism and the hope away from the saints. All right. Now, here's… I, I, I couldn't resist getting a hold of this. This is some of the false prophecies of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I want to give you just one little string of examples that, uh, well, you'll see. 1972, the Jehovah's Witnesses proclaimed to be God's prophet. Quote, so does Jehovah have a prophet to help them, to warn them of dangers and to declare things to come? Who is this prophet? This prophet was not one man, but was a body of men and women. It was the small group known at that time as International Bible Students. Today they are known as Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. Straight out of the Watchtower, 1972. Now has this turned out true? Have they proven themselves shown to be prophets? Let's look at their track record, keeping in mind the scriptural test for a true prophet. And let me show you the test for a true prophet. How many of you have ever wondered, how can I tell if somebody's really a prophet? 
You ever wonder that? Watch this. It's really easy. Moses wrote, but you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. No excuses. No, the devil got in the way. If it doesn't come to pass, it wasn't God. Okay? That prophet has spoken without my authority, and you don't need to be afraid of him. All right, so let's look at the Jehovah's Witnesses' prophetic record. Here's an example. In 1897, Jesus had been present since 1874. Now here is a quote. Our Lord, the appointed King, is now present since October 1874. Again, we were born too late. Now let's jump ahead two years, 1899. The Battle of Armageddon would end in 1914 A.D. The Battle of the Great, this is a quote, the Battle of the Great Day of God Almighty, spoken of in Revelation 16, 14, which will end in A.D. 1914 with the complete overthrow of Earth's present rulership is already commenced. Armageddon already commenced. Can you look back in 1914 and see where all the rulers were overthrown and Armageddon happened in the Valley of Megiddo? Y'all with me? No, because the whole world is soaked in a bloodbath in 19, or not in 1914, in the day of Armageddon. Now, 1914, the Watchtower Society admitted Armageddon would not take place after all in 1914 as expected. Well, let's try again. 1916, the thousand-year reign of Christ began in 1873. That means in, well, we're in it. Hallelujah. How are you liking the millennium where Jesus is ruling the world? Isn't this great? Don't you want a thousand years of this? If this is heaven, somebody knock me out. <laughs> somebody just knock me out and wake me up when heaven is over with. <laughs> All right. Now, quote, I'm quoting the Watchtower. Uh, the Bible chronology herein presented shows that the six great thousand-year days beginning with Adam are ended. And the great seventh day, the thousand years of Christ's reign, began in 1873. Now in 1918, they said 1925 would mark the return of the Old Testament prophets. And others mentioned in Hebrews 11. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all going to show up again in 1925. Okay. Here's what they wrote. Therefore, we may confidently expect that 1925 will mark the return of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the faithful prophets of old, particularly those named by the apostle in Hebrews 11, to the condition of human perfection. Well, we know that didn't happen, right? Anybody in here seen Abe lately? Talk to Isaac? Okay. 1922. Again, 1925 is the year of the Battle of Armageddon instead of 1914. We missed it by 11 years. Quote, the date 1925 is even more distinctly indicated by the Scriptures than 1914. So in other words, we've looked a little bit more closely. We just mix, missed a little bit of exegesis, a little bit of biblical interpretation. Now we've got it, 1925. Well, in 1923, again, 1925 definitely is the year of the Battle of Armageddon. Our thought is that 1925 is definitely settled by the Scriptures. As to Noah, the Christian now has much more upon which to base his faith than Noah had upon which to base his faith in a coming deluge. That's the Watchtower 1923. Now 1925 again. 1925 might not be the year. Quote, 
The year 1925 is here. With great expectation, Christians have looked forward to this year. Many have confidently expected that all members of the body of Christ will be changed to heavenly glory during this year. This may be accomplished, but it may not be. In His own due time, God will accomplish His purposes concerning His people. Now, don't we all wish we could prophesy that way? Now, here's what I'm saying, and it may be and it may not be. That gives you an out either way. If it happens, I told you. If it doesn't happen, I told you. Uh, they go on, Christians should not be so deeply concerned about what may transpire this year. It is to be expected that, <laughs> it is to be expected that Satan will try to inject into the minds of the consecrated the thought that 1925 should see an end to the work. That means them. It might have occurred to you, since we've missed it so much, this might be the end of the Watchtower. 1931, uh, article captioned, Learn to Quit Fixing Dates. <laughs> Quote, there was a measure of disappointment on the part of Jehovah's faithful ones on earth concerning the years 1917, 1918, and 1925 which disappointment lasted for a time, and they also learned to quit fixing dates. Well, they're the ones that fixed them. Jumping onto the sheep for just believing what they said. All right. I don't even want to read the next one. You get the point. Are y'all there? So, okay. I don't even want to. Now, I, 1968, admission of falsely prophesying. In 68. True, there have been those in times past who predicted an end to the world. Notice, those way back there, we don't even remember their names. Even announcing a specific date, yet nothing happened. The end did not come. They were guilty of false prophesying. Why? What was missing? Missing from such people were God's truths and evidence that He was using and guiding them. Well, uh-huh, yeah. Now, real quickly, are y'all, can you take just a few more minutes? Are you overloaded already? Are you want a little bit more? I wanted to show you a couple of things, because let's get down to the whole thing about Jehovah. Why the emphasis on Jehovah? Let me do this and we'll close. The title for God, Jehovah, was erroneously, now this is what they say. Keep in mind, this is what they say. The title for God, Jehovah, was erroneously removed from the New Testament, making it an inferior translation. Now follow me and put on your thinking caps. I'm going to teach you a little something here, and just pay attention because this is, this, this is what they hit you with in the living room, okay? Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Jehovah is the true name of God and that the original New Testament documents were tampered with. Now, now, what are these documents they're talking about? The original, what we call extant manuscripts, that is, existing manuscripts that were copied from the originals. We don't have any of the originals that John wrote on or Matthew wrote on, but we have very, very near the originals. So when he says, when he's talking about the original documents, the New Testament documents, he's talking about when you go way, way back to the earliest documents we have of the New Testament writings, they are saying that as they were being copied by hand, by copyists, you know, we've all seen where the little monks huddled in their rooms with their heads shaved and wearing the burlap sacks and and they're hunched over and they're writing in minuscule writing. We've all seen that, right? That's how these manuscripts were copied in the original. Way, way, way back. They got the writings of the apostles and they began to copy them. And then those copyists copied them. And then other copyists copied those. But the reason we know that we've got accurate copies is because we have found different manuscript copies.
in hundreds of places and they all agree. They agree. You don't have one of these copies saying one thing and then another one saying another where obviously somebody fudged or fiddled with the original and changed it. They all agreed. So we have the New Testament, just for your information, there's more extant manuscripts, copies of the New Testament than there are any ancient document in the world by far. So you tell me, well, they're not reliable. I say to you, oh, well, you do, do you believe that you've got Homer? Do you have the Iliad? Do you have the Odyssey? Do you have Homer's writings? Do you have Thucydides' writings? Do you have any ancient writings at all? Yes, we believe we do. Well, then you've got to believe that you've got true, accurate New Testament writings because there's more extant copies than there are of any ancient manuscript by a long shot. God made sure of that. Okay? Now, so here's what they're saying. They're saying, whoops, I need to go down here. They're saying that these old documents were fiddled with and Jehovah was removed. Jehovah was removed. Now look what it says now. The, the original New Testament documents were tampered with, arguing that the four-letter Hebrew name for God revealed to Moses, usually written Yahweh, or Yahweh was removed from the translations and replaced with the Greek word kurios, meaning Lord. Now here's all that their, their beef is. In the Old Testament to the Jewish people, the word Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, was so sacred they didn't even want to say it. They wouldn't even say it. Yahweh meant God in all of His fullness and power. So Yahweh was the most sacred word for God. Now here's what they were saying. When the New Testament copyists came along and started copying from the original manuscripts, making new manuscripts, they threw Yahweh out. Jehovah. Yehovah comes from Yahweh. Jehovah. They threw it out and replaced it with an inferior word, kurios, meaning Lord. And they say because of that, the whole New Testament is corrupted. Okay? Everybody with me? Now, it's very important to understand what I've already said, that to the Jewish people, they wouldn't even say the word. So when God the Holy Spirit moved on holy men who belonged to God, who spoke what the Holy Spirit told them. What did the Holy Spirit do? He substituted Yahweh with kurios, or you say it kurios, for New Testament writings. Jewish Christians through the centuries have had no issue with this at all. It enables people everywhere to actually say the word Lord instead of being afraid to even utter it. When you say hallelujah, that's God's name at the end of hallelujah. Okay? Here's their whole point. When the New Testament was translated, it was corrupted by taking God's name out and replacing it with something else. And they're wrong in the sense that it did not corrupt God's name at all. It gave us something that we can say. So can we say tonight, praise the Lord? You just said kurios. You just said it. And lightning didn't strike you. I, you know, we've had enough tonight. I've got a little bit more, but I'm going to close. Maybe I can finish this out next week. I'm feeling like we're overloading our minds a little bit. Are y'all good? All right. All right. Let me just put up the last page that I've got here. And I think you get the point. I think you get the point. Here's the summary. And let's stand together while I read this, can we? 
the Jehovah's Witnesses fall into the category of a cult, which is defined by Webster's Dictionary as a system of religious or spiritual beliefs regarded by others as misguided, unorthodox, extremist, or false. How many of you can agree that what we just heard is misguided, unorthodox, extreme, and false? Their message greatly twists scripture and brings great damage to the sacred doctrines of the faith by teaching against the deity of Christ, the trustworthiness of scripture, and the persons of God the Father, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Anyone involved in this false religion needs our prayer for their hasty deliverance. Now they're handing out to you how to witness to a Jehovah's Witness. One per family, because I only had a hundred of them made. Read it. It's just a simple copy, but take it home and put it somewhere. And if that knock comes on your door and you look out and you see the bike, and I'm not making fun, y'all. Hey, how many of you did weird things before you got saved? I mean, come on. I'm not making fun. This is serious stuff. To be steeped in this and trapped in this and believe these things, it's very serious. But if you see it, go grab your notes and just read what I gave you to them, and they won't be able to answer it. Okay? All right, Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you for the power of your truth. Lord, we pray for people in this area trapped in Jehovah's Witness doctrine. Set them free by your truth and help our church, Lord, to be humble and compassionate and to reach out to those trapped in it. Thank you for giving us an understanding tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you